0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing With Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, we are coming off quite Halloween spooktacular, if you will, on Days of Our Lives. We saw Marlena, as the devil, resurrect three of the town's biggest baddies, which saw the returns of Blake Barris's Nick, Vincent Erizari's Deimos, and Mike Manning's Charlie. Now, I'm the first person to tell you that if I know something is going to happen, I will still watch to see how it unfolds, and that's true. But I have to say this is one instance where I feel if you didn't know this trio was returning, it was probably quite a fun shocker. Uh, Now, as the show's head writer Ron Carlovati said in our last issue, the consequences of these returns are very real. This is not a ghostly visit. That is like a gotcha in the end. It was all fake. Um, They have an impact on the storytelling, and with the devil in town, All bets are clearly off in terms of pushing the boundaries of credibility. You know, it's funny. The issue of credibility is something that I ruminate on all the time when it comes to soaps, uh, specifically when I examine my own opinions about what works for me and what doesn't. I can see someone make it from Port Charles, New York to Greece in the blink of a commercial break and be like, okay... But then I'm constantly like, that would never happen about things that are so much less ridiculous on paper. Um, I'll give you an example. I was talking to Wally Kurth, who plays GH's Ned, a little while ago. And he had just shot the scenes where Ned loses track of Leo at the hospital. And he calls Olivia to tell her that he has misplaced her son, uh, essentially. And he told me that he told Amanda Seton and Kirsten Storms, who play Brooklyn and Maxie, they were either in those scenes or just nearby at the time he was shooting them, uh, that if he ever lost his son, the last thing in the world he would ever do as a first action is call his wife. He was like, I would turn off my phone and go into hiding until I found that child. Uh, And we were just laughing at how in a fictional world where weather machines and memory mapping exist, uh, that's the kind of thing that stands out to us as something that would never happen. A guy freely admitting to his wife that he hadn't been paying attention to their young son and let him wander off. Well, this is just begging for me to quickly tell my own real-life kidnapping story. Um, So when I was four months old, my mother left me in my carriage outside of a small grocery store in New York City. This was Definitely a thing back then. Um, And a girl passed by, thought I was a doll, and took me home. So my frantic mother, of course, called the police first, but then she called my father at work and told him to come home. She liked to then point out to me as I got older that he went and got his car out of the garage first rather than just jump in a cab and hurry home. He would defend himself by pointing out that arriving a few minutes earlier wasn't going to change anything. So my point being, it's hard to judge people's reactions because everyone is different. But see, when it comes to logic lapses, like the one you mentioned about New York to Greece, those are the things that bother me. Uh, Because like, wait, that can't happen. Um, But... How you would react to losing your child for a little while, I guess, is very situational and you can have to be in the moment. But another thing that bothers me is actors who choose to play things stoic when in real life you would likely be a sobbing mess, for example, when somebody dies. Okay, as long as we're ranting, uh, what makes me the most nuts is when stories are told that ask the audience to pretend that something we saw happen with our own eyes on screen didn't happen just because they're choosing to write something that only works if the audience agrees to like opt in on storyline amnesia, I guess you could call it. I'm sort of like, sorry, no take backs. I saw it happen. You can't tell me I didn't. Uh, I'm also generally okay with aging characters, even when it's done inconsistently, like on GH, Molly and Spencer were only born like three months apart in reality. Uh, But on the show, like she's graduated from law school and he's like just out of boarding school. But something that really got my goat is when One Life introduced Danielle, Todd and Taya's daughter, and she was older than Star, his daughter with Blair, because as Todd and Blair fanatics like myself can tell you, Star was already born by the time Taya met Todd, much less conceived a child with him, which couldn't have happened until many years down the line. Yeah, sometimes we're expected to really just go with the flow in (laughs) ways that... Maybe you wouldn't normally, um, and you could look at Y&R right now, because they are certainly aging characters in reverse, based on the hiring of our recent guest Mark Grossman as Adam, who is much younger than his predecessors, and newcomer Rory Gibson as Noah, also younger than his predecessor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and shows can get into trouble when they decide to age up too quickly, and really it's been a minute since we've seen the reverse happen like mm-hmm. we have here. Which is just to say, ah, uh, soaps. Yep. <laughs> now a character we didn't know anything about until his General Hospital debut in 2009 is Dante Falconeri, played by our guest today, Dominic Zampronia, who is in the thick of things on screen. So let's check in with him and see how it's all going. Hi, Dominic.
1: Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Mara.
0: Hi. Thanks for joining how us. How you doing? We're good. Thanks for
1: having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, we're going to start
0: with where you were born. So you were born in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So tell us <clears> how <throat> your parents ended up in Canada.
1: Well, my, my parents met... My dad was born in Hamilton. And Hamilton's like a steel town. It's like a Pittsburgh of uh, southern Ontario. And he started working at the factory, I guess, in his late teens, but then had this other side to him that he liked dancing. And so... He uh, started performing. I think there was like like um, kind of talent esque shows that were happening, local stuff in Hamilton, and he kind of dug that more than working in the steel factory. So, and I guess he won a couple times or something like that. So he's like, "Oh, I'm actually good at this." <laughs> so then he moved to Europe, or to England specifically, and started taking dance classes in West End at this place called the Pineapple Dance studio or something like that and he met my mom who was a ballet dancer from northern england and she got a show she was doing guys and dolls in one theater my dad was doing west side story in another theater and uh that's how they met and then he left and would go back and forth and he was doing things like um, man of la mancha and fiddler on the roof the movies actually which are pretty amazing things to see nowadays and And so uh, then they moved back to Hamilton in the 70s, opened up a dance school, opened up an acting school, and then had kids. And so I never had a chance to be a doctor or a math teacher or a rocket scientist.
0: Which is a blessing because you would, I dare dare to guess, not have excelled in those professions.
1: Clearly not.
0: (laughs) Um, so obviously, you were raised in a very artistic family. That was yourself, your sister Gemma, and your twin sister Amanda. So, what what was childhood like for you with with such uh, creative parents? It
1: was pretty cool, you know. I mean, I guess it was different than most. I mean, every Saturday you heard music pumping through the floor because it was the dance school downstairs. Every day from four p.m. on was dance classes downstairs. Um, I was forced to take ballet, tap, and jazz, which my buddies in our steel town were not. Uh, so, you know, you take a little bit of heat there. But uh, um, we also got to see a lot of uh, cool shows. And, you know, I was forced to be Phantom of the Opera for Halloween one year against my will. Uh, there's So it's different, you know, but but you know i had a grandfather who was a mechanic and and you know an uncle who was in the steel industry and my aunt was a teacher so we had that whole other side of our family that was kind of kind of the norm of the area growing up and we were kind of the outliers you know so it was it was interesting and it was it was it was very supportive though everyone was very supportive of what you know our immediate family of five was about you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm
0: So do you remember how you specifically got into the family business? Like what was your entree into performing?
1: Well, I started taking my dad's acting school when I was five, five or six. Yeah, five or six. Well, I obviously started taking dance class first and then started taking uh, acting classes at their summer theater school. Um, And uh, my sister booked um, Road to Avonlea. It was a TV series. It was like a... It was like an Anna Green Gables-esque thing. And every Sunday we'd have to like pull the dinner table in the living room and put on Gemma's show and watch it. And I thought it was terrible. I mean, it was a good show, but it wasn't my speed. I wanted to my Duke's Hazard and, you know, Knight Rider and stuff like that. <clears throat> but um, when I was 11, my dad basically said, you want to give it a shot? I can take you in to meet Gemma's agent if you want. And I was like, sure. So I went and met her agent. And within a week, I was auditioning for... what was the first thing? I think the first thing I ever auditioned for, I think it was called something called the jelly bean odyssey. And it was a CBC show. And I went down to the wire. It was like me and someone else. And I didn't get it, but it was my first ever attempt. So it was kind of a good sign. And then the second audition I ever did was FX two was the sequel to the eighties movie FX with Brian Brown, Brian Dennehy. And that I did book. So kind of got lucky. And then, that that kind of began the the road to oh well now you're all, now you're kind of like a 11-year-old kid going to, driving to Toronto after school and doing auditions so did
0: your buddies respect that or was that more mockery for young dominic Sampronia?
1: <laughs> no that was a mockery that was <laughs> that was pretty cool um cuz at that point i mean i was in elementary school and and um, they didn't really know much about or care much about what i was doing i think in elementary school um, it wasn't until I got to high school that I met my my group of friends that I'm really close to still to this day that they were always so infatuated with with the idea of their buddy being in TV shows and movies and stuff like that. It was definitely a, a leg up going to the new school.
0: Well, in 2000, I feel like your profile as an actor took a big leap up when you landed the lead role in the Canadian teen drama, Edgemont. Um, So tell us about your experience, you know, shooting that show and how and if booking it kind of changed your your life.
1: Definitely changed my life in so many ways. Uh, I was a bartender before I booked that and I was really avoiding going to university. I had dropped out of university, actually, because my parents made me go to university because they didn't want me to sit at home waiting for auditions. Um, So I spent six months at University of Toronto, dropped out, went to LA with my sister who was shooting a movie here at the time and stayed with her for a couple of weeks and then went back and started bartending and, uh, auditioned for, um, Edgemont. And I remember my dad telling someone, well, he's up for this series. And I got pissed. I was like, don't talk about it. Cause if you talk about it, you're going to jinx it. It's not going to happen. You know, cause that happens all the time. <laughs> and, uh, it's way harder to tell people what happened to the job that you thought you were going to get, you know? Um, So yeah, a week later after that, um I booked it and uh it was shooting in BC in Vancouver and I was like, oh man, I love the idea of going out to Vancouver. Um it was a it was a lower budget C B C drama, all filmed in a school, and I was number one on the call sheet, which was cool. Um I had done a movie previously with Chris Penn a few a couple of years before where it was my first kind of big leading role in a film which was really wild and fun and because it's a big deal you know as a 19 year old to be the lead of a show and I'm like okay but a lot there's so many factors like I was leaving my family to go out west I was living out of a hotel you know you, there's a, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders in that role and uh, it was a huge learning experience for me and and I look back on on some of those days and I handled it, some of it very well and I handled it, some of it not very well and and uh, you know you kind of got to allow yourself to be okay with the mistakes you made um, provided you learned from them um, but yeah there there's, it changed my life one thousand percent i mean it introduced me to my future wife um, who was a makeup artist on the show. Uh, it, it, um, you know, I moved out to Vancouver for many years and had a career kind of out there instead of Toronto. Uh, and I've never been back since cause I went Vancouver, LA. Um, but it was, it was, we did five years of that show and we covered some amazing things that are still tough for shows to kind of cover these days. and it was 20 years ago. It was an amazing time of my life and it was an amazing experience. I just know there were certain days and certain instances and certain things that I I wish you could you could go back and kind of do over and say. My wife told me years later, she's like, well, you know, I met with, you know, one of the producers and they said you didn't show up on time. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. I'm like, that's terrible, you know. But, you know, when you're young and you, it actually prepared me a lot for GH because the amount of material we do in a day on that show was similar to kind of the material we do in a day on GH, not quite volume wise, we had way less cast. And so you were kind of on all day. Like there was very few scenes I wasn't in and I was in every single episode. So, uh, it really, it really was kind of, uh, uh, like there were times where that kind of thing breaks you a little bit, you know, where you, it's so intense and so, um, um, uh, nonstop that, that you don't really know how to handle that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, got through it, and and uh, I, I I met friends that I've known my whole life from that show, and we've been through so much together over the years since. So I I think back a lot on my days on Edgemont, quite fondly.
0: Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, now, you also appeared in the 2001 TV movie, Dying to Dance, where you played Zach, the boyfriend of Kimberly McCullough, G.H.'s mm-hmm. Robin. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you remember about working with Kimberly on that project? And did you get to show off your dancing skills?
1: <laughs> I uh, I remember Kimberly told me after the fact that I slipped with a tongue, which I don't think I did. But she <laughs> says I did, so maybe I did. That was a long time ago. Uh, and I didn't really know what etiquette was at that time either. I remembered doing a dance scene with her uh, or I had to like lift her up and twirl t- turn around with her like holding her. So I did have to actually do some dancing which was handy that <laughs> I I wasn't this many years removed from my dance training uh, as I am now um, but she was a sweetheart man like she was um, she was uh, in my view like a really amazing actor and um, I kind of felt like like I had to step my game up to be working with someone of her caliber, you know but but yeah it was a it was kind of a strange it was kind of a strange uh time when i because i don't i don't really it's like a dancing movie about uh, the content was just so over my head like you're you're almost like just thrown into something somebody's just going audition for these things, and as an actor you don 't really get to pick and choose a lot of stuff, you know like you just you're trying to keep the train rolling. So it's like, oh, go and do a dance movie about a girl with an eating disorder. Okay, cool. Like, um, but it was fun. I I, I think half the fun of that is that I got to work with Kimberly later in life. Mm -hmm. And, And I love that we have that history. It's not like, I think we both look back on that movie as being this defining moment of our careers or anything like that. But we both look back on that moment as being like, holy crap, like, we worked together when we were, like, 20 years old, like, and now here we are, this is amazing, you know? Yeah, very cool. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: All right, so from 2004 to 2006, uh, you played the role of jammer on the critically acclaimed cult hit, Battlestar Galactica, a job that earned you a fan in your future GH mother, Lisa LaCicero, who plays Olivia. Uh, What was the casting process like for that show?
1: Uh, just kind of the usual, you know, you go in audition and wait by the phone. (laughs) And, uh, when, when that was, when I was auditioning for that, like Vancouver is a huge sci-fi hub, like a lot of sci-fi stuff was being shot back in the day. And, uh, I think still is. And when the chance to come up to audition for that came about, um, I'd heard a lot of great things about it. I didn't know much about it. I obviously knew it was a remake, but I didn't know it was going to be as kind of um monumental uh, series as it turned out to be. Uh and so by the time I got there and was working on it, like then you're just hoping like, please don't kill me. You know, like <laughs> let me hang around for a little while. Uh and uh they did. I mean there's some interesting things that happened on that show because I actually was supposed to die earlier in the fourth was it third season? Yeah, earlier in the third season. Um, and one of the other actors on the show, uh, Eric Douglas, I think, went to bat for me. He's like, no, no, no we got to keep Dom longer. Like, he's so good or something like that. Uh, so uh, another guy got killed off instead, which I feel really shitty about. But <laughs> someone's got to die, you know? <laughs> and then eventually... Team, I, team uh, jammer. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, it, you know, when I booked GH, Lisa was one of the first things she said to me on the phone. I was leaving the gym in Vancouver and she's like, you're my son. And we just finished watching that uh, uh, Battlestar. And I can't believe you're a Battlestar. I was like, oh, that's so cool, you know? Um, being a part of a show like that is um, definitely, definitely a highlight of my, my life. And, and the, the way they kind of let me, let me go was uh, pretty monumental too. I've never been shot out into an airlock, but they gave me a good like whole day of pleading for my life first, which was uh, nice of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I uh, that's, that's one of the, one of my top, one of my top things that I, that I, you know, I still have the, you know, everyone who's on the show got a little, uh, like a dog tag thing and I still have it hanging in my office over there. And it's just, it's a neat thing to be, say you were a part of. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. And, mm-hmm. Um, now, in two thousand and six, you also shot six episodes of the L Word for Showtime, and you had your first experience with on-camera
1: nudity. Yeah,
0: so we don't have tell to talk us- about
1: that. Uh, we don't have okay. to talk about that if you don't want to. <laughs> 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 that I was so. What's your question first? Of all? I
0: was going to say, tell it. us what you remember about appearing in your birthday suit and what you <laughs> like, What was going through your head that day?
1: <laughs> well. It's- It's going through my head that day is like what am I doing Uh, (laughs) I auditioned for that first uh, before they told me that it was going to be nudity and uh, after I booked it they said oh there's going to be some nudity I said well what's the the scenario you know Um, and they said you're at a party and you're skinny dipping I said by myself (laughs) and and they're like no with like this group of girls I'm like oh okay well I'm not like solo you know Han huh? solo naked guy, then sure let's uh, I'm game. And so you know the day of reckoning arrives and uh, I get into my trailer and there's just a robe and uh, and uh, I, I drank my liquid courage and uh, as the day wore on, I started hearing rumors that a lot of these girls weren't actually gonna do it. They were just gonna wear their their uh brawn underwear potentially. And I was like, what? And then they were like, but you're still gonna do it, right? I'm like, uh drink, okay. <laughs> and uh and you know, that that was one of the most difficult things I've probably ever done. And um uh, my brother in laws have made fun of me for it ever since. And uh my friends have made fun of me for it. it's 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 a tough thing to do man because you go in there and it's and it's like you it wasn't just um like the act itself was quick but it's the setup the lighting the camera like like on our show when you got to do something like I remember they asked me to do like a a scene where I wasn't wearing my underwear on the show when when Julie Berman was on the show and and everything happens so fast you're you're lit and taped and wrapped before you know you can think about it too much well on a show with a big budget and all that kind of stuff your lighting takes about an hour and a half two hours you know there's all this stuff and you have way too much time to think about it and then you know the time comes and you're doing it and it's okay but I've never been that cold in front of that many people before (laughs) let me just say that Okay, fair and uh and it was really interesting being kind of the dude on a show like that because I was the most exposed and I was the last one that was handed a towel afterwards. <laughs> so that's what I remember. But aside from that, another kind of learning experience that um, you know, maybe next time you uh you or you don't have to do it again because you've already done it. That's Check it. that box. you
0: right. Yeah.
1: Is that towel also on your office wall as a memento or no? <laughs> no, I didn't keep the towel. I didn't keep the towel. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so you mentioned that you had bartended before mm. Edgemont, before as we're wending our way to you landing GH. Was there another any other time that you had like a day job
1: to keep you afloat? Well, no, because uh, I got lucky. Honestly, I by the time I got um, by the time I got uh, GH, no, by the time I got Edgemont, I was only nineteen years old. So. I I was shooting that for the next five years into my um, mid late twenties, and then from the time I I finished that, I was just booking, you know, things like Battlestar, L Word, uh, a whole bunch of um, movies, TV movies, Sci Fi Channel type movies, Hallmark movies, uh, no or not Hallmark, um, Lifetime, Lifetime, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of Lifetime stuff, and uh, and that kind of got me to twenty 24- four. Uh, sorry 2009 where i started doing uh um stargate and uh smallville and then i booked gh so i really only had that time when i was kind of in my late teens where i had to had to kind of mm-hmm. get off my butt mm-hmm. and do yeah. something sure but those other times there's probably moments where it's like yeah, it's getting iffy like should we you know you got to go and find something but my philosophy was always that if you are an actor, you are an actor. Like if you're not an actor, you're, if you're bartending, then you're not acting. And that's your plan B. And if you got a plan B, you're not going to be, uh, focusing enough on your plan. A. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, it worked for you. Um, so you mentioned in 2009, you did make your debut on general hospital. So you were still living in Canada at the time. So how did GH come about? And, um, had you ever thought about moving to LA prior to that?
1: I had thought about moving to L.A. uh, prior to that. Um, As an actor in Canada, you're kind of always wanting to – I've been to L.A. many years before that. I've screen tested for for things with always the hope that you book it and then they get you a visa and then you're allowed to come and go. Because I had a hell of a time as an actor in my earlier years trying to get across the border because they don't really want you here if you're not legal to work here. Um, And uh, it was always kind of like this – thing hanging over me. It's like, yeah, you're working up here, but you're not working down there. And anytime you're here, you're the Canadian hire, which is cool, but, but you're not, it's harder to get, you know, higher up the call sheet on an American project as the Canadian hire a lot of time that's changed in recent years. But back then, that's especially what it was like. Um, So yeah, I tried to come down here at least once a year for pilot season. Uh, And the the GH thing was kind of I was on Stargate and I auditioned for GH, uh, and when I booked it, their whole thing was you know we got to get you a visa and you have to move here and I was like well that's been my goal from the beginning so that was that was just as cool you know you booked this thing which is amazing like when I was riding my motorcycle back to my buddy's house after audition. And yeah, my manager kept calling, she kept calling, she kept calling. So I finally got off the bike and I had to the call. And I was like, what? She's like, what? She's like, you booked it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just left the room 10 minutes ago. She's like, they've already called. They're, why don't you get your paperwork together? You booked this thing. You got to be down here in two weeks. I'm like, holy shit. So um, that was one of the greatest days of my life, honestly, because that felt like um, I was finally uh, in on the way to this kind of this land that you always, you know, uh, wanted to be a part of it down here. You know, I always wanted to be here doing what I was doing for whatever reason. I don't know, but it always was in the back of my mind. Like I want to be in LA doing this. And maybe that's cause that's where the work really is. You know, there's work in Canada, but this is the center of it. You know, this is where, you know, everything really originates from. So, um, yeah, man, that was one of the greatest days. Uh, I'll never forget that moment and, and yeah, it's kind of been here ever since.
0: I remember Mark Teshner telling me that they had you there and they knew, he said, even Maurice said like, that's the guy. So I'm not surprised to hear there was such a quick turnaround in, in getting the good news to you. So your introductory story on GH was huge, right? You, you, uh, Dante was undercover as Dominic Pirelli infiltrating the mob, unaware that the very Don he was trying to take down was his own, biological father, a truth that did not come out until Sonny shot him. Uh, so what stands out to you about that first stretch of your Port Charles experience and working so closely on that story with uh, Mr. Maurice Bernard?
1: I'd seen Maurice's face before, but I didn't really know anything about him and his kind of intensity level and stuff like that. And I'd worked with some pretty intense people like Chris Penn and, uh, you know, like this Canadian, uh, this actor named John Vernon, who did a I did a movie with when I was a kid. And yeah, you know, some big kind of big personalities and big actors, and and I was shocked that I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised about Maurice's intensity level when I got into that audition room because I knew virtually nothing about him. Uh, but we kind of just clicked, man. From day one, we just like clicked, and it was it was such a cool feeling. It felt like a felt like a being in a really like an acting class when we were did that audition together and that kind of gave me and that was the big, the audition scene was the, the day he shoots me basically. So, you know, I knew where the story was going from the beginning, but I didn't know how we were going to get there. And basically everything that we did from day one to build was so obvious. It was like the steps, like, it was like, you saw the, you saw it happening backwards, you know, like, Oh, I see. So this is where we're going to be. And this is where we are now. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And uh, everything had a purpose, you know what I mean? Every single scene we did, there was so much layers, so many layers and subtext. And not only did we both bring so much to it, I think with our relationship and, and, and how we hit it off, but we, 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 the way they wrote it, it was such a cool, slow build. Um, nothing was kind of phoned in or taken for granted. It felt like everything was a meaningful moment between the two. And there was so much interconnectedness to the other stories that were happening at the same time that the stakes were so high for everybody and for you know every scene I had with Olivia was, was heightened every scene I had with Lulu was heightened uh, aside from the fact that you know they were trying to have sex and kept getting interrupted, like there's that whole other side of it that was happening too which was so much fun um, but it, there was no lack of intensity for sure it was just it was just I thought it was brilliant and from and it really felt like we were doing creating something special mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it really makes me feel good that to this day, people are still talking about it, and and Maurice still talks about it. And he's like, man, I get chills every time I see someone post something. I'm like, yeah, same. Like it's it's just so cool that that we've left that kind of mark.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, you clicked with Maurice. Who else do you remember clicking with? Like, who were your first buddies on the show?
1: Well, Lisa for sure. Lisa, hundred percent. She took me out day one to lunch. Uh, uh julie obviously we got along amazingly um uh ronnie who played ronnie domestico we've stayed friends to this day as well those that was kind of like the core group of that was my that was my hub you know on the show it was like i had scenes with lisa julie ronnie mo um But I also did get close with people like Steve from day one. Like we'd always joke around and play video games late night when we were all the schedule was so different that we were all there at the same time, you know, always um, late night. And it was like, it was a real kind of backstage at the theater type vibe, which I grew up in. So it felt so much like a second home feeling to me. Uh, It really felt like live theater and the camaraderie and family that people in live theater kind of um established with each other
0: so 2009 was also a big year for you because you debuted on the show in june and then in november you went and got married to your beautiful wife linda we just heard how you met which is that she was a makeup artist on uh the show that you had done years prior did you come to gh engaged or did getting married
1: kind of no we got engaged in We got engaged in Vancouver prior, just six months prior to me showing up. Uh, I was MCing at my buddy's wedding, and I didn't really. Neither of us really talked much about marriage until I emceed at his wedding, and I saw the two, him and his now wife, together, and I was like, "This is pretty cool. I'm like, you guys are pretty happy together, and I, I could totally see this for, for Linda and I." And uh, so I took her out to this little Italian restaurant down the street from where we lived, and I had the ring in my pocket the whole night. I designed it myself and all that kind of stuff and hunted down the diamond, had it all made for her. And then, uh, uh, so I got really into that process, which is kind of interesting. It's like, I, I like jewelry, I guess, but I'm not, I didn't know I'd be into wanting to design her jewelry. <laughs> um, so I took her out to dinner to this great little Italian restaurant and uh, chickened out the whole dinner. And then on the way home, pretended I had a sore knee and had to, and she's like, "What's the matter with you?" Like she was all like, "What? What are you doing, dude?" <laughs> and then I showed her the ring. So yeah, we got, and it was cool. And uh, and she said yes. And then and then we're like, "Oh well, well We started talking about it in the months before I booked GH. So that was probably like February. And uh, <clears throat> and we started saying, "Yeah, we'll go to like, we'll do like a destination wedding. We'll invite our families, you know, And, be. and uh, then I booked GH, and I came down by myself, and she stayed up in Canada with the dogs. And uh, she came down in probably August or September. We had a house up there that we owned together that we had to pack everything up and, you know, whole life that we, you know, what do we do? Like we're just, you know, uprooting everything. And I said, don't bring a thing, sell it all. Let's just load up whatever you can fit in a car and we're going to come down here and start new basically. So, uh, so that's what we did. And then we got, we got married because we, we just, I was so busy with work. I was doing 15 hour days and uh, we decided to scrap the destination thing and, and got married in the, in the Griffith park under a maple tree with a justice the peace. And it was awesome. I wouldn't, didn't change a thing about it.
0: Oh, it's so nice. yeah. um, well, while you were starting your life as a newlywed, Dante was falling in love with Lulu, originally, as you mentioned, played by Julie Berman, later mm-hmm. by M Ryland. So why do you think the audience responded so well to what you and Julie created?
1: Uh, I don't know I, to, I even confided Julie at the time. I was like I'm a little worried like they, they had me and they had Dante and Julie and they, uh, uh, Lulu and they also had Lulu and uh, Drake's, Patrick's brother, uh, um, Jason Cook, who played Mad yes. And I would watch their scenes, and I'd be like, man, they're really funny together, and they're good together. And then people are like, but well, yeah, you and Julie are as well. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, you know, where they were going to go with it. Um, and uh, I, honestly, I think it clicked because we clicked. Um, we made each other laugh, like mad, uh, off stage, and uh, and had it just had fun. And, and uh, And they, I think it was their writing too. They wrote it so much that you couldn't help but root for these two. Like they were young, they were fun. Uh, They, they seemed to kind of enjoy taking the piss out of each other a little bit. Uh, He kind of came from this cheesy, you know, schmoozy kind of element with her. And she was like a no bullshit kind of element. And Together, I think they really complemented each other, and and then you get the writing of the the fans really wanting them to, you know, just teasing them and with just enough every time. Like, are they gonna? Uh, oh no, they can pull back a little bit more pull back, and that went on for six months, and and by the end of it, people were just like dying for them to get it on, you know, and uh, and. <laughs> Luckily, they enjoyed that when it happened, too, because that would have been a letdown if that didn't work. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a combination. We 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 clicked, the writing was great, and they the execution of the story. Uh, as,
0: as we're talking, I'm I'm realizing you have just about the most famous possible father-in-law and mother-in-law in the General Hospital universe in that uh, Tony Geary and Jeannie Francis played them. Tell me about working with the two of them.
1: Well, Jeannie, I never got to work very much with before... The last couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, I love working with Jeannie. I mean, she was, she's, um, she's one of those people who doesn't miss anything. Like when you're working with her, like you kind of feel like less than because it, uh, you feel like as an actor, someone like, oh, they're going to think people are going to notice I missed that beat or they're going to, I didn't quite hit this. And then usually people don't see as much as you think they're going to see. Uh, but with Jeannie, I never saw it. Anything, you know what I mean? Like every time she makes a decision or a choice, it's clear and it's effective. It's almost like you start watching her, you know what I mean, in the scene, and it's like, oh wait a second, I'm supposed to be working with you about like watching you, you know? It's which is interesting. Tony, I was just sort of intimidated by the level that he was, and the value that he was to that show, and just how how monumental. Like when your Croatian brother-in-law knows Luke and Laura, you know you're working with some royalty.
0: Absolutely. Um, now, Julie did make uh, the decision to leave. She was recast with M. Rylan. Were you concerned about kind of now working with a recast? And how would you describe your transition into working with M? The,
1: the recast, I think a recast sucks. Anytime, you know, anytime someone leaves, I mean, I, I think it 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 sucks, especially if things are going well and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, at the same time, I understand everyone wanting to. To leave and move on to other things. And and when you're on a show as long as she was, and as long as it's so unnatural, and you start thinking, well, something's got to give. This can't just go on forever. Um the the recast, I think it's challenging. I I think Em did an amazing job, and I think she did everything she possibly could to own that role in her own way. Uh I think it's tough for someone to replace anybody, let alone a character like Julie, because Julie invented that role and everyone was so uh, into her version of it. It took a long time for people to uh, adopt M's version of it, but I think M did eventually do it. I think she got, I think she won people over and made that hers. Uh, for me, you know, I love M and I, you know, we got along great too. So I just, it's kind of, it became a different character though. You know what I mean? It felt like a different character It just, And that's kind of how I had to look at it. I was like, you're Lulu, but you're not, it's not the same. Lulu. It's just a different Lulu. It's like doing a different role. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's impossible literally to play it in the same way with a different person, no matter who they are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, it's just a reality of the soap world. Um, I'm grateful that when I left that they didn't recast me because it, allow me to come back. <laughs> uh, but not only that, It, it. Uh, I think it gave her more stuff to play. I, I wish, you know, when, when Julie left, would it have been more fun for the character of Dante to explore his life without Lulu in it? Maybe. But I think the character at the time was so important to the canvas, they didn't want to lose the, the potential storyline between the two and with her, with everyone else on the canvas as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm hmm
0: So as we know, you left the show uh, yourself in 2018, and after, you know, returning for like a few days worth of work here and there, you came back for good in August 2020, and there were cheers of joy throughout the GH fanverse. Um, so we had had you on well, the podcast nice. at the time to talk about your decision to leave, but now tell us about, you know, what changed for you and why you decided to come back.
1: A bunch of things. I think, when I left, I needed to, to leave for me. You know, I, I honestly felt like, like I've been on the show for almost 10 years at the time and, and everything I'd been on literally had been, you know, shows end, they end or you get killed off. That's how, that happened to me my entire career. Every show I'd been on, I'd be killed off for the show ended, you know, and then you're off looking for the next thing. And that's, that's how this, so it got to feel like really, unsteady. All of a sudden I felt like, well, I'm in my ninth year on the show. Like who's to say how long it's going to last. And all of a sudden, when it doesn't, when that day comes, I came down here from as a Canadian actor who didn't know anybody and I've been on the show, but I still don't really know any casting people or producers in this town. So I was like, a, I I need to go and just kind of like be somewhere else for now. And, and B, you need to uh, meet people. Uh So having, having done that, I spent a year doing that before the pandemic hit and I went and did another show. I screen tested for another show. Uh, I worked with Tim Roth, you know, one of my favorite actors of all time. And I was sitting there opposite him and I was up in Canada and I was like, this is cool. But you know, I'm a million miles away from my kids. Um, I don't know that this, that the grass is greener. You know what I mean? And, now that i've been out and met people and if the show were to stop or they killed me off one day i wouldn't be this guy starting a scratch again you know in some casting people's eyes i'd be oh yeah hey man we had you and we loved you and we've got a relationship now and a rapport so i i established what i wanted to establish and and when frank and i started talking again i mean we always kept in touch but when we started talking seriously about coming back it just felt right in my heart, you know what I mean? It just felt like home. It felt like your parents calling you, you know? <laughs> like, and and then when Lisa and I started talking about it, she's like, "Well, I would love it." And Bo's like, "You love well, I me, mean, obviously." Like, we we kill it together, and it was like, you know, the last ten years, twelve years now, being there is the greatest years of my life. You know, making family type friends and and creating the amount of content. And sometimes the content can be too much. Sometimes it's like, well, we're going so fast that we're, we're doing so much. Like it doesn't feel like we're getting a chance to create enough. Well, you can create on the side cause you got enough time to create on the side and you take for granted how much joy and love you have for that genre. You know, like I really, I really fell in love with, with doing GH in particular and I feel like I'm good at it. And I feel like I was kind of built for the pace of it. I feel like everything I've done in my career up until this point has kind of prepared me to be able to do that really well. So, yeah, it just felt like right place, right time again. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, do you feel like you came back with a different perspective? Um, oh, and- 100%. percent hmm um, and is it one of those things where you felt like you never left or did you have to work to find Dante again? Because of course, Dante had changed since the last time you had played him.
1: I think a little bit of all of that, like, like it, it felt there was a total different perspective for me as a human being because of all the stuff I just said. Uh, I had done a lot of work on myself as a person in those years. And, uh, so there's personal growth, there's character growth. There's renewed excitement from writers and all that kind of stuff because, like, all of a sudden there's this open box of things you can kind of pull out and see what what sticks. Um, and, uh, but ha- so, having said that, yes, there was, it is even now, and to the comeback is still new and discovering who this guy is because I don't think he's as black and white as he used to be. I, I don't think, you know, he believes in. You know this stuff that's happening with Sam maybe he's not believing in you know the the life that he had with Lulu was one thing and he realizes maybe there can be this other um, life of happiness too that doesn't involve her and and so there's there's all sorts of parts of Dante's brain that are getting uh, kind of new pathways sent to which is which is fun for me to play you know it's and I think it's fun for the writers to write and uh, and like i I, I know that Coming back, there was a, the the whole, you know, not just the appearance, but whatever the appearance of Dante was, led to being able the freedom to be able to play shades of him. That was it's so exciting to like you can go back to those. It's not like they're gone. Like the, he's fixed and has gone and gotten help, but I think like those those shades of him that were revealed are still there, and I hope you know, I, I think they're always in play.
0: Do you miss being controlled by the pen? Don,
1: be honest with me. Yes. (laughs) It was, it was kind of, it was fun to do. I miss being, I miss being a little bit of that darker thing. Um, but I, like I said, I don't think it's gone. And I keep trying to, I kind of have it in my back pocket all the time. And, um, and the pen was kind of funny actually when they said that drew was back and he was being mind controlled i'm like oh are they fucking bringing the pick back out like what's going (laughs) on?" um i don't know what his trigger is but i don't know if it's a pen but uh it always reminded me of this kids in the hall sketch when i grew up there was a kids in the hall sketch and bruce mccullough who's one of the funniest dudes on the earth uh one of the kids in the hall he it was this episode where he plays this guy searching for his pen. He's like, my pen, my pen, someone took my pen. And he's running around the office. Like, so immediately I would think about that every time. But one cool thing about that is I did get to work with Kathleen Gotti a lot because she was like the pen meister. So I miss that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, with Lulu off the canvas, Dante has become romantically involved with one Miss Samantha McCall, played by Kelly Monaco. So tell us about working with Kelly and about your real-life friendship with her.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we've, always, we've, we've never been really tight before this, but we've always been um, been kind of, we've always had fun with each other uh, over the years. And, uh, and uh, I always wanted to work with her. And when we got to do this stuff a couple of years ago with the twilight zone episode, I had a blast with her, man. I feel like she just made that so much fun that day. And it was kind of just all up for anything. And she was so willing to play and get into that kind of fun, you know, my cousin Vinny type role that, that reminded me of. And it, and it allowed me to just like, it was, so anyway, we had a great day that day and, uh, and, uh, you know, over, over the, the last year, we've gotten really close. Um, you know, we, we talk all the time when we're not on, at work together. And when we work together, we hang out now. And um, she's, uh, she's a good one, man. She's just a good uh, human being. <clears throat> and um, almost more so than I ever thought she was. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much more to Kelly than meets the eye. Uh, she's got a really interesting life. Story, and uh, we come from similar upbringings, and so we got a lot in common, and uh, and uh, our brains kind of work very similarly. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun getting to know her. <clears throat> um, it's to me, it's been a lot of fun as an actor to doing. Like I, I haven't really worked romantically with anyone but Em and Julie um, over the last ten years, so you almost get to know each other so well that that that's Lisa and I went through a phase like that where we got to work with We know each other so well that like you, you worry your scenes are kind of not interesting anymore because you just, you almost know what each other's going to do. And so to work with Kelly, where I don't really know what she's going to do a lot of the time. And we end up doing a lot of things up on stage that might not be planned. And, 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 uh, yeah, there's just always, uh, Either way, she makes me laugh my ass off. There's there's been too, way too many days where I literally can't look at her in a scene because I'm laughing. Uh, but lately, we've been doing a lot of serious stuff, and it's and it's I think really beautiful stuff that we're we're getting to do together. Kind of things that I know some fans have said, oh, they're kind of talking like they're like little kids dating, and I'm like, well, but th- they're kind of doing what I think respectful people do with each other, which is kind of making sure there's real feelings between the two of you before you move on. Like they both want to, they both have kids, they both have families, they both have, uh, you know, repercussions if this should not work out, you know, for the characters, like you want to make sure that they're, they're tiptoeing into this thing, I think and rightly so, as much as they probably want to rip each other's clothes off.
0: They have a half brother, a common half brother they have whose feelings <laughs> they have to think about, you know, it's, it's all the things. That's right. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So um, I think a lot of people are really enjoying this pairing. And and then as you know, uh, there are other fans who are such JSAM sam diehards and or such Lante diehards that for them, Sam and Dante together is a harder sell. So if you were making a pitch to those fans to be open-minded about Sam and Dante, what would you say?
1: I'd I just say, like, to me, I, I think too much of anything is gets kind of stale after a while. I think everything needs to be shook up and, uh, and not everyone's going to, you're not going to please everybody no matter what. But if you truly like the show and you truly like the characters, then you should be willing to go on the journey that the characters in the show are taking you on. You may not love it, but you're not going to know until you see what happens. And I know that if you're a fan of me or a fan of Kelly or a fan of, Steve or a fan of Kelly Tebow, or a fan of any of our characters, you'll understand that what we're doing is what's being written for us and we're all enjoying it. And, and if, if, if that's not enough, then I I don't mind people not being on board because you're not going to be on board. What I mind is people kind of saying really, really negative, uh, unproductive things, maybe, hurtful type things to the actor or to the show. Um, and then fans sometimes thinking that they are personally responsible for the success or the non-success of the show or a storyline. It's not how it works. You know, I mean the 10 noisiest people who like or don't like something aren't responsible for the ratings of the show or for the writers continuing to write or not write for a character or an, or a couple. So I, yeah, I would say so all that, like, like there's, there's excitement and there's uh, newness and there's things about these characters that you might've not seen before coming out in these new potential pairings that if I was a fan of a show or the character, I would just be like, Oh, Hey, maybe that didn't work. Oh, that actually did work. I've actually seen a lot of people that have like, well, these guys are kind of winning me over. Like the more it's being written and I'm like, yeah, that's called just going for the ride So go for the ride. If you don't like it at the end, you don't like it at the end. But if you, you may decide you like it you know,
0: right. Good good pitch. We like it. (laughs) Um, well, before we let you go, as you look back on your path to GH being on GH coming back to GH, um, can you sum up how finding a professional home on the show and playing Dante for all these years has changed
1: your life? taught me so many things about not to take what you have for granted about to treat every day, regardless of what it may feel like as an important one. Um, value where you are in this moment because uh, it could all be gone. You could be killed off tomorrow. You know what I mean? Uh, or the show could end tomorrow. I mean, you see the way shows, the way it is when shows end and it's sad, you know, people make these friends life that turn into lifelong friends. Um, and when it's over, it's over for real. And they don't come back. And and they, and then it's on you to continue those throughout. So, I mean, I, I, when I left, I almost took for granted how, close I got to these people, these crew people, the crew members, like Craig, our stage manager, Kyle, our props guy, who's now our stage manager, you know, Dean and Barbara, our camera people, you know, like uh, you know, Ronnie, our props guy, you know, our our directors, Bill Dell, who's been there f- since the beginning of time, it seems. <laughs> like um these friendships that you've gained, that you you get so much more out of them than you think, you know? and you know to bring it back full circle the thing you guys don't get from being at home is when you're in that basement office you don't get to look over and see Mara and Stephanie sitting across from each other and throwing paper at each other or whatever you guys did there's there's you know there's moments like scenes that Kelly and I did on Friday which you guys will see in a couple weeks (laughs) that you realize these people have your back. These crew people and actors that you've come to know and love over the last 10, 12 years have got your back and they are your extended family. And that's meaningful in this world, you know, it's especially going through what we've all just gone through. Like, relationships are everything. And it, I've learned to just not take any of this stuff for granted and to be in the moment with it all.
0: Well, that's awesome. I mean, we couldn't be happier to have you back, to have Dante back on the canvas. Um, I am a Dante Sam fan, so uh, I'm forward to seeing the it. scenes you mentioned. And well, we yeah, have- if
1: you weren't a fan now before, you don't have a pulse because <laughs> if you see what comes in a couple weeks.
0: <laughs> great tease. Tune in, everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for all your time today, Dom. It was really great to talk to you.
1: Wonderful to talk to you both as well. Thanks for uh, having me on.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Dominic Zampronia for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.